Acts chapter 6, starting at verse 1. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. What they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. The word of God continued to increase. The number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. A number of years ago, I was in the Dominican Republic on a missions trip, and for these missions trips, we would go into villages and set up medical clinics, and I wasn't a medical personnel, so I would go and just kind of talk to people with a translator, share the gospel with them, and I remember one particular man that I met that I'll probably never forget. Um, I decided I was going to take a walk through this village, and I met this man, he, and he was a ginormous human being. He had ginormous hands, the kind of hands that if you shook hands with him, you would beg for mercy. And I saw him, and he's sitting on, I think if my memory serves me correct, he was sitting on this fence, and he was just kind of sitting there, his head kind of bowed, just kind of dejected, kind of depressed looking. And went over and started talking to him and kind of hearing his story, and he told me that he had played Major League Baseball. He could throw a fastball about 90 miles an hour. And at first, I was like, I don't know about this. I mean, he's just sitting here on a fence, and he was in the major league, played major league baseball. But it turns out he actually did play baseball. I looked it up after I, I left him. And it turned out he wasn't able to play baseball anymore because he couldn't get a visa to play in the United States anymore. And so here he was, this ginormous human being who can throw a fastball 90 miles an hour, and he's just sitting there on a fence, depressed, dejected, not able to do what he was made to do. The late Austrian psychiatrist Viktor Frankl once said, ever more people today have the means to live, but no meaning to live for. Ever more people today have the means to live, but no meaning to live for. This man had the means to do what he was called to do. He had all the physical attributes. He could throw a ball like nobody else. But he had no meaning. He had no purpose. And he couldn't do what he was called to do. And so he was lacked purpose and meaning in his life. And so he was sitting there dejected on that fence. I think a similar thing can be true in our own lives. We have the means we, each and every one of us have been given skills and gifts and talents to use for God's glory. But sometimes I think we don't know how to use them. We lack meaning. We lack purpose. And so we're like that man who was sitting on the fence, dejected, not doing what we've been called to do. Research shows that having a sense of purpose has incredible benefits. Research shows that people who have a sense of purpose tend to handle pain better. They have better brain health. Research has even shown that people who have purpose tend to live longer. 
Yet despite these benefits, many people have trouble finding purpose or discovering their purpose. In a survey from 2016 of young adults, 86% of young adults said that part of being a real adult is allowing your purpose to match your actions. And yet despite that, only 43% said they have a clear picture of what they want in life. 36% say their career path aligns with life with their life purpose. And only 30% know why they're here. Christine, Christine B. Wellen, a professor at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, concludes, This study isn't good news. Coasting is existing, not thriving. The majority of young adults who say that they don't have a clear picture of what they want in life also say that they're existing but not thriving. While those with purpose more often say that they're thriving. We live in a culture where it's increasingly difficult to have a sense of meaning, to have a sense of purpose, to feel like our lives contribute to something, that our lives matter. And this sense of purposelessness or meaninglessness often leads to a very terrible conclusion and that often leads to suicide. And we have a suicide crisis in our culture. From 2000 to 2016, the number of suicides increased by 30%. Among women, it increased by 50%. Behavioral scientist Clay Rotledge writes this about the sense of meaninglessness in our culture. He says, as a behavioral scientist who studies basic psychological needs, including the need for meaning, I'm convinced that our nation's suicide crisis is in part a crisis of meaninglessness. Fully addressing it will require an understanding of how recent changes in American society, changes in the direction of greater detachment and a weaker sense of belonging, are increasing the risk of existential despair. It's hard in our culture to have a sense of purpose. We live in a mobile culture where our family structures are not as important as they used to be 100 years ago. Uh, we have many different choices. You know, 100, 200 years ago, you would just do what your father did, what your mother did. You just kind of follow in that path. And today we have all these different choices. And sometimes that can lead to a sense of, I don't know what I should be doing. I don't know if what I'm doing matters. And so I'd like to talk about purpose and meaning and finding our calling in life today. And when I say that, I'm not talking about purpose or calling in kind of a general sense. Because in a general sense, we all have the same purpose. Our purpose is to glorify and to honor Jesus Christ and to have a relationship with him. The Westminster Shorter, Shorter Catechism says the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And so that's our purpose for, in a general sense. That's for all of us. But I'd like to talk about purpose or calling in a more specific sense. What is God calling me to do? And how should I find that calling in my life? And so I'd like to look at four different aspects of calling very briefly today. The first aspect of calling is that everybody has a purpose or a calling, and every purpose is important. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 19 says this, For just as the body is one and has many members... And all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. And all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. 
And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. The whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? The whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged in the body each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? Each part of the body is important. Each purpose is important. In the passage that we're looking at today, we see that there's a problem. The widows aren't going to be ta- aren't taken care of. We're going to look a little bit deeper of what that meant in, in a few minutes. But they're not being taken care of. And on the surface, it seems like the apostles are saying, well, we need to do the important thing, prayer and the preaching of the word, and we need somebody else to do the dirty work, the things that we want to do. But that couldn't be, that's the furthest thing from the truth. You see, what these seven men who are chosen to take care of the widows do is they free up the disciples, but they are also fulfilling the calling of God in their own life because we see in the scriptures that God has a true and deep heart for the fatherless, for the widows. In the book of James, it says that pure and undefiled religion involves taking care of widows and orphans in their distress. So what these seven men doing, while it might seem on the surface that it's not very important, it's central and very important to the purposes of God. Look at it, look at it from the perspective of the church. Let's say someone who is not a believer comes into the doors of the church. Now you might say to yourself, well, the most important thing is that they would hear the word of God, that they would hear the gospel and be saved. Now, in a sense, that's true. But imagine they come into the doors of the church and the worship team is completely disorganized. Each member is singing in a different key. Each instrument is out of tune. And it just sounds awful. That visitor that comes in, she thinks to herself, wow, what are they, what are we doing here? This sounds awful. But imagine the worship team is on point, but she comes in and nobody cleaned the church this week. And she comes in and she starts, what's, what's that smell? She sees flies flying all over. She goes down to the bathrooms and it's absolutely filthy. And she thinks to herself, well, does anyone even care that this church exists? Is this church even open? And imagine the worship team is on point, the church is clean, but nobody shovels the walkway and salts it in the wintertime. She comes up the door to go in the doors of the church. She slips, hits her head, never comes in, never even hears the gospel. But imagine all those things come together. Imagine the, the walkway is shoveled. The church is clean. The worship team is on point. But the kids ministry, the kids team decides not to show up that week. Kids are dismissed for children's church. The kids go down, are wandering, have no idea where to go. And that visitor thinks to herself, do they not even care about my kids or where my kids are going to be? But imagine all those things are on point. Imagine the worship team is on point, the facilities are clean, the walkways shovel, the, the uh, kids team is down there ready to receive the kids with a smile. But she walks in the church and nobody says anything to her. She comes, sits in the pew and she thinks to herself, Do they even care that I'm here? Is there something wrong with me that nobody even went out of the way to say hello or to talk to me? Now, God in his grace could override any or all of those things. 
But if a person comes in and is a visitor and all those things happen to her, she's thinking before the message even starts, she's thinking about going out the doors. Maybe she even does. See, each part of the body is important. And each purpose matters in the body of Christ. And we're all interdependent. We all rely on one another to further the gospel and show love to those around us. So everybody has a purpose. Every purpose is important. The second thing we need to know about purpose or calling is that sometimes there are things that distract us from our purpose. There'll always be good things in our lives that need to be done. Our world is full of many needs, some of them very legitimate needs. A couple years ago, I got something in the mail from uh, the Arbor Day Society. And uh, that foundation, they, you know, plant trees and have education related to planting trees and those kinds of things. And uh, they sent me this thing in the mail, said that if I sent in $10 to join their members team, they would send me like 15 free seedlings. So I was like, okay, seems like a good deal, help them out. So I sent in $10, they sent me the trees. I did, you know, the similar thing last year as well. But then after that, I looked in the mail and I kept getting all these letters from all these foundations that I had no idea even existed. All these different names I had never heard of asking for money to meet certain needs. There's always needs around us. There's always things that need to be done. And in this passage, there's very legitimate needs to Hellenists. Uh, complained that their widows were not being taken care of. Now, to understand what was happening here, we need to understand a little bit about the background of who the Hellenists were. The Hellenists were Jewish people who spoke Greek, um, and most likely people who who were born in nations other than Israel. Uh, The people referred to as Hebrews were people who spoke Hebrew or Aramaic and were born in Israel. And so there may have been this tendency in that day for the Hellenists to think of themselves as second-class citizens, that they weren't as important as the true Hebrews who were born in Israel spoke Hebrew. And they may have been, felt like they were overlooked in the church. They may have felt like they were outcasts because they weren't from Israel, they didn't speak Hebrew as their primary language. And so there's a potential crisis that's brewing here. The Hellenists come and they say, you got to do something. We're not being taken care of. We're being slighted. We're considered second-class citizens. Our widows aren't being taken care of. The Hebrew widows, they're being taken care of, but our widows aren't being taken care of. In the midst of that crisis, you would think the apostles may have had this tendency or this temptation to do everything they could to try to fix that problem, to stop preaching the Word of God, And to meet those needs, to make sure that there wasn't a conflict, and to make sure the church wouldn't split apart. But thankfully, in their wisdom, they chose to be faithful to the calling that God had for their lives. Imagine what it would have been like if they chose not to preach the gospel. If they would have chose not to write the letters that would have become our New Testament. We find our purpose... We need to guard that purpose. And of course, we all do things that are outside of our purpose and calling. You know, there's some things that nobody wants to do that we just have to do. But when we find our purpose, we only have a limited amount of time and resources and energy. And we need to be careful about where we focus those energies. 
there's a show called The Prophet, P-R-O-F-I-T, not the other way. Uh, it's a show where a guy named Marcus Lemonis, who's a millionaire, goes to these businesses that are struggling. Um, and he tries to help them and he invests some money and tries to turn their businesses around. And usually when, when you see those shows, you know, you go in there and the signing, signs are terrible or they have a terrible product or they're always fighting. And it's pretty clear why there is an issue. But there's one particular episode I watched last week. It was called Ron's Garden. And this was a little bit different because when Lemonis went into the doors of his store, he was just blown away how beautiful this store was. Uh, this man, Ron, was a designer. He designed all of his, or almost all the things in the store. It was one of the most beautiful stores you can imagine. Clean, organized. And the thing also was that uh, most stores, they have a middleman, and so they make maybe you know, 40, 50% margins. But the thing was, he designed and he produced almost everything in the store, so he was making like 90% margins on everything, or almost everything he sold. And yet he was losing money. And so Lamonis tried to get to the bottom of why they were losing money when he was selling a really good product. He had good margins. Everything was clean. Everything was organized. And what he found was this man, Ron, was not doing what he was made to do. You see, he was a brilliant designer. He could design cups and bowls and all these things that people wanted to buy that were beautiful. But he had Asperger's syndrome, and he wasn't very good with people. He had trouble trusting people. He had trouble believing in people. He had trouble letting go of things, that, even though he wasn't good at those things. And so the staff, he was just kept going through staff left and right. He wanted to be involved with the finances, and he didn't trust his financial advisor, even though he had no idea what he was doing with finances. And Lamonis was trying to get him to see... You need to focus on the designing. Let other people do those other things because you were made to design. And the same thing is true with us. When we find our purpose, when we find our calling, and we find where God would have us serve, we need to guard ourselves so that we're not going from here to there and doing this and that and wasting our energy on things that are not as important. So sometimes things will distract us from our purpose. Third thing about purpose is that discovering or finding our purpose results in fruit. The apostles stay true to their purpose and it results in fruitfulness. Now remember what they could have been potentially looking at. They could have been looking at a potential church split where the Hellenists go off and do their own thing and the Hebrews do their own thing and the the watching world thinks to themselves, why do we want any part of this? And yet they stay faithful to what God has called them to, and God brings an increased fruitfulness. In verse 7, look at what it says. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. The priests were the people who were persecuting them. Just a few, few verses earlier, they're persecuting them. And yet because of their faithfulness to their calling, there's this increased fruitfulness, and even the priests are coming to know Jesus. And when we're fulfilling our purpose, there's almost always increased fruit. I mean, think about it this way. When we're doing something that we know that we're called to do, we have this increased perseverance. Let's say that you're a greeter. 
but you don't want to be a greeter. You're not good with people, but you, you know, there's a need and you're like, okay, I'm going to be a greeter. And you come sometimes, but if it's sunny out and if there's something else going on, you're quick to say, I don't think I can make it. Or if it's, it's, it's a little bit snowy, I don't know if I can come out. But if it's your calling, if it's your purpose, if it's something that fulfills uh, what God is calling you to do, you'll be like, I don't care what else is going on. I'll be calling you up and I'll be like, dude, don't come to church. It's not safe. There's too much snow. And you'll be like, I, I think I can make it. I think I can walk, put on my snowshoes and make it to church so I can welcome anybody that comes. I mean, there's a difference between something that we feel like we should do and something that we're called to do. When we find what we're called to do, there's an increased fruitfulness, an increased perseverance. But also, when we do what we're called to do, we're freeing other people up to do what they're called to do. Because if you're, doing, if you're not doing what you're called to do, it may mean that you're preventing someone else from doing what they're called to do. Because they're making up the slack that you're not doing. But when we all do what we're called to do, when we find our purpose, it all comes together. It frees other people to do what they're called to do. And the increased perseverance results in fruitfulness as God blesses our faithfulness in doing what he calls us to do. So finding our purpose often increases our fruitfulness. The final thing about purpose is that finding our purpose is easier than we think. You know, many of us here, maybe we think to ourselves, I don't have any idea what my purpose or my calling is. And just as an aside, our purpose and calling can kind of change over time. You know, some seasons of life we may need to devote more to our family, uh, especially if you know, have young kids and whatnot, and that may change as time changes. So our purpose and calling can change somewhat over time. But I think we have trouble finding what our purpose or calling is because we think of it in this kind of glorified sense. We think that if God is calling us up to something, we'll see these bright lights, God will speak to us and tell us, you shall do such and such. Or we think to ourselves, if I find my calling, then everything will go smoothly. I won't face any opposition. I won't face any persecution. I won't have any discouragement. It will all go perfectly. But I don't think any of those things are true. Look at what happens in this passage. The calling to serve starts with the recognition of a need. It starts with the recognition of the need. The reason this issue was happening was because uh, it was taught in, in Israelite culture that it was noble to die in the land of Israel. So these Hellenists, people from other nations who were Jewish but spoke Greek, they decided, many of them decided to move to Israel before they died. And so they would move to Israel, and then they would die and then leave behind them these widows. So there's this surplus of widows there that have no family. They're not from their own homeland. No one to take care of them. And so it starts with a need. And we see that the apostles say to raise up seven men to meet this need. And we see that these seven men who, who arise to meet these need, they all have Greek names. And most of the time, Hebrews didn't have Greek names. None of the 
disciples had Greek names. And what that indicates is that most likely these people were Hellenists. They were Greek-speaking people from the nations. One is even a proselyte, not even a Jewish, someone who converted to Judaism. And so what in essence happens is the Hellenists take care of their own. The people who are bringing the complaint, the apostles kind of show them how they can take care of the widows. See, sometimes God shows us a need and then he invites us to meet that need. That's how God often puts a calling on our life. He shows us something that is being overlooked, something that nobody else cares about, and then he invites us to meet that need. And sometimes I'll have people come and tell me different ideas of, you know, we should do this, we should do that. But they don't want to do it themselves. They want me to do it or the other leadership of the church. You know, I'm thinking to myself, well, this is not my calling. This is something that God has placed on your heart. This is a legitimate thing that God has placed on your heart. How do do you want to be a part of meeting this need? So God puts these needs and these uh, desires in our heart, and then he says, do you want to be a part of meeting that need? I think we sometimes go about finding our purpose or calling the wrong way. We think about finding our purpose as what is going to fulfill me? What is going to meet my needs for approval and validation? But what finding our calling is really about is about finding a need and then resolving to meet that need. And I think if God is calling you to something, he will reveal that need to you and give you a desire to meet that need. I mean, there's a lot of good needs. There's a lot of legitimate needs, but there's some that just stick with you. There's some that maybe keep you up at night. There's some that just everywhere you look, you just are reminded of that need that it just burns within your heart. may not be the same with someone else. You know, I think about uh, my mom, and my mom loves animals. And uh, she helps with rescue organizations and uh, makes baskets and things like that. That's a good thing to do. I love animals. I love rescue organizations, but I'm not going to make baskets. That's not on my heart. That's not my passion. That's something that God has given her to meet that need. And God has given each and every one of us different needs to meet. And each and when each and every one of us come together to meet those needs, we're able to meet the needs in the body of Christ and show God's love to those around us. U.S. writer and preacher uh, Frederick Buchner put it this way. The place God calls you is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep, deep hunger meet. The place where God calls you is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meets. It's when God places a desire on your heart, he shows you a need that you can't get away from. That in your heart you say, i got to meet that need. During the World War II, German paratroopers landed on the island of Crete at an airstrip called Melame. And the islanders came out armed with kitchen knives and scythes, ready to defeat the enemy forces, but... You know, the German forces had guns 
and everything, bombs and everything like that. So they just completely destroyed these villagers. But after that, there was uh, an institute that was created by a man named Alexander Papadaris. He was a Greek man who uh, was about uh, six years old when the war started. He was captured by German forces, put into a concentration camp. But he wanted to build a foundation to help the Greek people move on from the tragedy of war. And he thought it was important to teach the people, uh, the Greek people, that they needed to let go of their anger and to show forgiveness to the German people. One day, while taking questions at the end of a lecture, somebody asked him, what's the meaning of life? There's kind of a nervous laughter in the room. Nobody knew how he was going to respond. But he told about, he opened up his wallet and he pulled out this little piece of glass, a piece of a mirror. And he told where he got this piece of a mirror. He got it when he was a young boy and uh, he came across this wreckage of a German motorcycle. And he went to this mirror that was shattered and he tried to put that mirror back together, but he was unable to put it back together. So captivated by this mirror, he took a portion of the mirror and kind of rubbed it against the rock so that the edges would be smooth. And he was fascinated, fascinated by it. He carried it around everywhere he went. And he would take and was amazed at how he could take the sunlight and shine it on the... Uh, the mirror and shine it into dark crevices and dark holes. And he kept that mirror as he grew up and it became kind of a metaphor of what he felt his life's purpose was. He said this, as recorded in the book, it was on fire when I laid down on it. I am a fragment of a mirror whose whole design and shape I do not know. Nevertheless, with what I have, I can reflect light into the dark places of this world into the black places in the hearts of men and change some things in some people. Perhaps others may see and do likewise. This is what I'm about. This is the meaning of my life. That's what each and every one of us has. We each have a broken mirror. And God calls each and every one of us to shine His light into some dark area of this world. It's only small piece. We can't shine it on every need, every darkness in the world, but we can shine it somewhere. So what what darkness is God calling you to shine his light on today? When God calls us, when God shows us a need, he often invites us to meet that need. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that in it we find truth. We find life. We thank you for the apostles. We thank you for them staying true to their calling and doing what you called them to do and allowing us thousands of years later to hear the gospel. Lord, I pray that each and every one of us would find our purpose, to find the way that you made us, to find needs in the world that need to be met, and that we would do what you've called us to do. And we know that as we do that, as we persevere, that you'll bring fruitfulness. That as we point that mirror towards darkness, you'll shine your light. Maybe not heal everything, maybe not illuminate everything, but you'll bring healing to some things, that you'll bring fruitfulness. 
Lord, today anyone, I pray, who's struggling with finding their purpose, God, I pray that you'd reveal that to them. Show that to them. Show them why they're here on this planet, what you would have them do in this season of life. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.